If you would, turn in the Bible to Revelation chapter 10. As Jake just prayed, Revelation has been a, a great study for us. We're nearing about the halfway point. Look forward to studying chapter 10 here today. You know, with so many of our kids gone, you might think this is the most peaceful Sunday we will have here at church. 20 kids are away at camp. And it may be a little more peaceful here this morning, but I hope and I hope and I hope that you would never think that makes it a better Sunday here at church. For kids are so important in the life of a church and in discipleship that we should have our eyes and our focus on young people, pouring into them, loving them, investing in them, making disciples of them. And so, may not be as many challenges or distractions this morning, but we miss them. Look forward to them coming back with the work of God all over their hearts and lives. Revelation 10 is an interlude For those of you that have been following along, we are in the seven trumpets. That's where we're at. We've already been through the seven seals. The seven bowls are coming up here in the future. We're in the middle of the seven trumpets. And the last three trumpets are also the last three woes. Woe, 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 it says at the end of uh, chapter 9. Woe, 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 or or in chapter 9. And we're in the middle of the second woe. Once we get through with this interlude, that ends the second woe. Um, And then we get into the third and final woe, which is the seventh trumpet. Where we're at is God making it very real to us that there's going to be an end to all things. That's heavy. The Bible teaches that. God wants us to study that. That's where we are this morning. I am a big fan of playing board games. When we can get the TV turned off, I love to play some board games. And we have a a newer game that we're playing called Sequence. I don't know if you've played Sequence in your home. I don't think it's a new game, but it's new to us. And I love this game. It's one of my favorites. Currently, me and my little Liliana are kind of like the the champion pair in our home. And we'll take on any two-man team. We love this game. And often what happens in this game sequence is you're holding on to your good cards. Your wild, your one-eyed jacks. Those are the best cards. One-eyed jacks. And you're holding on to those to use them where it can just like that win the game for you. And what happens a lot of time is you're just about to play it and somebody else plays and ends the game. And when the game ends, like in many card games, everybody will show their hand, right? Look what, look what I had in my hand. I was about to play it. And oftentimes what happens in a card game is somebody lays their hand down and it's loaded, Somebody shows their hand and they've got some jacks there, some wilds there. And inevitably, I will ask, why, did, why didn't you play those? We would have already won. Why didn't you play those good cards? To which my teammate will reply, I didn't know the game was about to end. Y'all, life is that way for many people. We are focused on other things. I'm still trying to finish out all my goals. I'm still trying to reach the place or status that I wanted to get to, unaware that it could be about to end. God wants you and I to hear over and over again. We are not promised tomorrow, and he is coming soon. In other words, that the end is coming. Read with me, if you will, Revelation chapter 10. And we're going to read all 11 verses, the entire chapter. 
Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled." just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is in the open hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. The word of God is powerful and alive and working in us. And today I hope that God would give us the ability to make some good sense of this, that our faith would be strengthened, that the end is coming, we will soon meet our maker, and that is both sweet and bitter. As I've mentioned, we are in the trumpets, and we are coming upon the seventh trumpet. If you will look at the end of chapter 11, verse 15 is when the seventh trumpet is blown. Then, verse 11, chapter 11, verse 15 says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ And he shall reign forever and ever. The blowing of the seventh trumpet is the end of the world. It is God judging the world. It is Christ reigning as king over his kingdom. It's the end of the world. And as we've mentioned several times, there is great similarity between the seven seals, into the seven trumpets, and what we'll see later in the seven bowls. All of these are judgments. And yet all of these are very similar, perhaps seen at a little bit of a different angle, showing us the same thing. When we got to the seventh seal, instead of it necessarily saying that this is the end, which the sixth seal told us that this is the end, when we got to the seventh seal, it just opened up into the seven trumpets. And in a similar way, we see this going on here. And when we get to the bowls, we'll see a similar thing again. What I want you to understand is that when we get to the seventh one of each, it's the end. It is the end. We are reading at the end of the Bible, in the final book of Revelation, that the end is coming. And you and I know that that's a big deal. It is Christ returning to the earth that he already come to, where he lived and taught and modeled life for us, where he called out his disciples and he prepared them to be missionaries, to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, to go and be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth before he left in the ascension. And when Christ left, he then sent them out in Holy Spirit power to reach the entire world. 
to which you and I today in 2022 are huge, massive, grateful recipients of that work, that missionary enterprise, for we must remember that the gospel wasn't here and it did not start here. People going and leaving home and traveling far through persecution and trials by way of the Holy Spirit somehow, some way made it to this land and somehow, some way made it this far inland and somehow, some way made it to Fairdale, Kentucky and preached Christ to which you, are, you and I are here today still by his grace preaching Christ. But Christ... Jesus gave us that. He gave us that. He gave us that calling and he gave us that purpose. And we are to, we are to be understanding that the end is coming. Because after he ascended, we are told that he's one day coming back. And when he comes back, he will judge the world. And that will be the end. And Revelation is reminding us of this through the seals through the trumpets. But what we see as we study this, that there are a lot of similarities. You remember the first four seals went together, and then the final three seals were uh, something special in their own way. And then we got to the uh, seven trumpets, and the first four trumpets went together, and then the final three trumpets went together, or were special in their own way. So there's, a, there's the four, and then there's the three individually. Another parallel that we see is that in between the sixth and the seventh, there's a break, a pause, an interlude, perhaps a gasping for breath in the midst of the heaviness of hearing God say, his judgment is coming at the end of the world. May you and I never be people that show up to church to simply read a book or get educated. May we be experiential hearers and listeners that feel the weight of God's truth, the sweetness and the bitterness. In between the sixth and seventh seals, we had that beautiful chapter seven where we have a picture in heaven around the throne. Revelation 7 is one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible, and that came between the sixth and seventh seals. Here we have chapters 10 and 11, the biggest interlude that we have in Revelation between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. And that's what we're studying now. So before the Bible tells us of what the seventh trumpet is like and the end of the world and the coming judgment and the salvation that is to come, we have this break of chapters 10 and 11. And it is fascinating. Today we study just chapter 10. Next week we'll study chapter 11. They are both the interlude. To show this to you just a little bit more, let me show you what I'm talking about. Um, if you look at chapter 9, verse 1, it's the fifth trumpet. Does everybody see that? The fifth angel blew his trumpet. And then look at chapter 9, verse 12. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. All right, look at chapter 9, verse 13. The sixth angel blew his trumpet. So there's our sixth trumpet. But you'll notice that the woe doesn't come until chapter 11, verse 14. So where the trumpet kind of ends at the end of chapter 9... Chapters 10 and 11 are that break, that interlude. And the second woe comes at chapter 11, verse 14. And then you get to the seventh trumpet with that third and final woe coming later. I know that's a lot of technicality. But if you're following along and you've been here each Sunday or you, you, when you miss, you watch online or listen online, you'll, you'll understand that God is writing a message to us that we're supposed to receive. We're supposed to leave out of here today going, man, the word of God is real. It's, it's good for me. God's got a word for me. He's spoken to me today through his word. And I was glad that I was church and my faith is strengthened and, and in fact empowered like built up today so today we study chapter 10 about the end coming 
My first point this morning is the end is coming and some of it is a mystery. The end is coming and some of it is a mystery. For the kids that are here today using the listening page, that's your fill-in-the-blank word right there, mystery. There is a lot that the Bible tells us. This is why we're studying Revelation. Our church has been asking us for years, many, many years, can we do Revelation on a Sunday morning? Can we do Revelation on a Sunday morning? And now that we're like so deep and thick in it, we may be second-guessing that. But we have been wanting to know what does the Bible say about the end and the coming and the judgment. And that's where we're at. And there are a lot of things that we're learning, and each week I hope you're going, well, I hadn't read that before, I hadn't thought about that before, I didn't know that the Bible says that. But we also recognize that there's a lot here that we don't know still. And we see this blatantly in chapter 10. Let's walk through the first seven verses. John sees another mighty angel. Another mighty angel is a cool way to put it. There's already these other angels, seven angels, that are blowing the seven trumpets. And I don't think this is one of those seven. This is another one as it uses the word another. But I want you to see the word mighty there. This is a big angel. Preachers love to make this point, right? But, you know, little, little card shops and Valentine's Day has made us think of angels as these, these cute little things that are chubby and huggable. And the Bible often says that is a bad picture, depiction of what an angel is. In our chapter today, this angel is overwhelmingly mighty. May you know that about God's angels. This is another angel, a mighty one, coming down from heaven, and he's wrapped in a cloud. Just picture that. Big, huge, powerful angel wrapped in a cloud. Throughout the Bible, the judgment of God, the coming of God is often accompanied by the clouds. When Jesus returns, that glorious day, he's coming in the clouds. The Bible says it over and over again. And this angel coming in judgment here in chapter 10, before the seventh trumpet, right at the end, is in a cloud. The next thing we see, this mighty angel has a rainbow over his head. What a sight. And remember, these judgment, these trumpets are judgments. And it is certainly a sign of judgment when you and I see the rainbow. But when you and I see the rainbow, our first thought is not judgment. It's the beautiful, life-giving promise of God in the midst of judgment. We know what the rainbow means. We know where the rainbow came from. For early in the Bible, in Genesis, when God flooded the world because there was so much sin, and he acts out this judgment, and he wiped out everything except Noah and his family, right? It was after that that he set his bow in the clouds as a promise to his people that he will never do that again. Right now, we need some rain, don't we? It is hot, it is dry, and we need some rain. And let's say here in the next week or come August or come the fall when the rainy season hits, it just starts raining and raining and raining. And we change our perspective from, God, we really could use some rain to, God, could you please make the rain stop? One thing we know that he will not make it rain so much that it kills all of us. He has promised us. And he who promises is faithful. He keeps his promises. And the rainbow reminds us that in the midst of a really ugly judgment where God wiped out the whole world except Noah and his family. Remember, there was a a preserved remnant there. There were a people there. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. There was salvation there. And the whole world has been populated through Noah and his family. But in the midst of that judgment, we have this awesome promise from God. That still today, anytime we get sunshine and rain pops up in the sky, and we're like, look at that rainbow, it's beautiful, it's awesome. And it's a reminder of God's good promise in judgment. The mighty angel comes wrapped in a cloud, and there's a rainbow over his head. Next, it says his face was like the sun. That's strong, isn't it? Jesus is described this way in chapter 1. And there's a lot of people that think this angel is actually Jesus. But I don't think so. One, Jesus is never, ever called an angel. Okay? 
There can be some similarities between the angel, a mighty angel, angel of the Lord with Jesus, but this is not Jesus. Later on in a few verses, you're going to see that he's told what to do and what not to do, and he obeys. And he's told to swear by God, and he does swear by God. So this is an angel. This is not Jesus. But with that being said, here, his face is like the sun. Later in verse 1, it says his legs like pillars of fire. And that's going to be important here in a minute when we see where he stands. Legs like pillars of fire. Big, strong, authoritative, like judgment. Verse 2 says he had a little scroll open in his hand. So we remember scrolls are a big deal in Revelation. That was the huge deal in chapter 5. The seven seals were on the scroll of the one who sat on the throne. They had the authority in chapter 5. Here we have this mighty angel with a scroll in his hand. And look what he does in verse 2. He set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. What an angel. A lion roaring is incredible. You can go to the Louisville Zoo, and the lions kind of, you go in, you got to go left to get to the lion. And once you weave your way all the way down, like to where the bears are, or you get all the way right, and you're over here in the island section where the orangutan is, you can be a good distance away from the lion, but when you're at the Louisville Zoo and the lion roars, everybody's like, you hear that? That's the lion roaring. It's not a whisper. There's nothing soft about it. It is big. It's attention getting. It's kind of like, whoa. And if you're standing right there beside it, you kind of like feel that. It's not so extremely loud that it's like, oh my goodness, that's annoying. It's like deep. And this angel speaks like a lion roaring. This is an incredible scene of another mighty angel. But what I want you to notice is just how big it is. Because these legs, these feet that are pillars like fire, come down from heaven like a cloud. And he puts one foot and leg in the sea. And he puts the other one on land. Earlier, we've heard about God bringing judgment upon one-third of the things in the world. Not at the end, folks. When God brings judgment at the end, it's universal. It's every person, every tribe, every place, land and sea. And this angel who is reminding us this again or proclaiming this again plants himself like this. I love wrestling with the kids at home, and admittedly, I'm getting older and weaker, and I'm starting to lose a little bit more when I wrestle to the kids. But when I wrestle with the kids at home, a lot of times I'll just say, look here, you see this line right here? I'll draw a line on the carpet. I'll say, that's the line right there. You cross this line, and me and you are going to go at it. But if you want to, you can come all the way there, and we'll have no problems. Here's the line. Don't cross this line, right? And kids love to just bust right through the line and tackle you, and that's, that's a lot of fun. But every once in a while, when, they, when, I'm, when I'm feeling good, I can draw that line and I can go, your territory or mine. The angel comes out of heaven and plants himself in the ocean and on land. And he's got something to say. Y'all, there's coming a day where God answers Every question, every wonder, every doubt, every confusion, that end is coming. When he called out with a loud voice in verse 3, he called out the seven thunders sounded. And so as if there's already not enough symbolism in the book of Revelation, now we got seven thunders that are inside of the seven trumpets. Verse 4, when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Wow. So this angel comes, he's got a message to say, and it's thunderous, it's big, it's strong. And then God stops him and says, don't. My first point today is that the end is coming and some of it is a mystery. 
in the middle of Revelation, at the end, we've got a message that we aren't told. And that's the way it goes. Just kind of ends like that. That little section. We don't know what that's about. What were the seven thunders? What was he going to say? In that moment, what was the angel going to tell us? And God says, don't. Don't tell them. You and I must accept, believe, understand. There is lots that God knows that we don't know. There's lots that he sees that we don't see. And there's lots that he's working that we don't quite understand. And we are filled with questions. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do good things happen to bad people or bad things happen to good people? And why me? Or what about the great question that we hear from the psalmist and the prophets over and over again in the scriptures? How long, God? How long, O Lord? And all the whys that we ask, God, why did you bring that person into my life to make me miserable? Why have you not brought that person into my life that would be the answer? Why did you give me that job? Or why did you give me this family? Or why do I look like this? Why am I not happy? There's questions that flow through our hearts and minds on a regular basis. And all of those questions will be answered one day, one day soon. But there are many things that are a mystery. Here, what the seven thunders are, we don't know. There are many things in the Bible where we're reminded that we don't know. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, where we get this promise, but concerning that day and hour when the end will come, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only knows when that day will be. Or what about in Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus ascended, when them still not understanding asked the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And then he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. There are lots of things that you and I don't know. We don't know when it's going to end. We don't know if it could be today. or well, We know that it could be today. We don't know if it's going to be today. We don't know if it will be past our lifetime. I don't know if I will meet God having never died. Like he'll come back and I'll meet him in the air. And so I would have never experienced this, this death here on earth, which somebody inevitably, some group, will that will happen to them. Or will I be in that group where I die here first? And then once Christ returns, then I meet him. We don't know. We don't know these things. There are mysteries. John is told here that the angel is told, don't. Commentator Schreiner says, this stands in contrast to the remainder of the book. For John is told at the conclusion of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 10, do not seal up the message, for the end is imminent. Isn't that a part of the faith? We have to share this message. Don't keep it. Preach the gospel. Tell everybody that the end is coming. People get ready. Jesus is coming. That's our message. We want to share that everywhere we can. This is why we go and work and serve and sacrifice and labor. This is why we're willing to be persecuted because we know that he's worthy and people need to hear this message. The Bible tells us over and over again, don't hold it up. Don't shrink back. Don't keep it in. Don't be ashamed. Go and tell. But here, it's don't. Well, let's keep going. Look at verse 5. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it. Look at this at the end of verse 6. That there would be no more delay. That's one of the ways that we know this is the end. There is a lot of delay, isn't there? The New Testament tells us that we're in the end times. 2,000 years later, we're still in the end times. There's been somewhat of a delay, 
by any time frame. But here, the angel is told that there will be no more delay at the seventh trumpet. What we are studying here in Revelation through the judgments of the seals and the trumpets, specifically the coming of the final and seventh trumpet, is the end. Verse 7 goes on to say, But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, which is the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Commentator Wilcox says, it reminds us that there is a limit to the patience of God. Six trumpet blasts represent every possible chance for repentance which God can offer to man. But even then, it is, not God, it is not God's patience, but man's ability to respond, which is exhausted. For man has hardened himself beyond the possibility of repenting. When God says that we are at the end, we are at the end, and that's what we're studying. Schreiner then writes that the sounding of the seventh and final trumpet will wrap up history as we know it. God's mystery will be fulfilled. Verse 7 says that. The mystery of God will be fulfilled. All of the questions. The Bible's big on mystery, and it uses that a lot. And it's something that we will understand once it's revealed. And that will be revealed. Everything that we wonder about in God's plan will be fulfilled in the end. When the end comes, everything will be fulfilled. All that God predicted and prophesied to his prophets will become a reality. The plans and the purposes of creation, both revealed and hidden to us in part, will be fulfilled. God's prophecies are both a prophecy fulfilled and a mystery to be revealed. And This is what we're studying. The end is coming and some of it is a mystery. As a believer, you are to wrestle with that and be ready for that. The Bible doesn't tell us when, but the Bible tells us it is certain and it's coming. And so we're to be ready. Are you ready? Do you hold in your heart by faith that the end is near? Any day I could meet my Lord. By the sky opening up or by me taking my last breath. The end is coming. It's the imminent message of the Bible that Christians throughout the ages, that the church has always said, proclaim. You're going to meet Christ soon. Are you ready for that? And while there are certainly questions and some mysteries, the truth is we're told that it's coming. All the answers and the mystery will be fulfilled. So you've got this other mighty angel, big and powerful, and standing with one foot here and one foot here, saying, no more delay. This is it. And then it shifts a little bit, and we get to verse 8. My second point is that the end is coming, and God's promises are sweet and comforting. The end is coming, and God's promises are sweet and comforting. Look what happens. Like it's common in Revelation, the story just shifts a little bit. There's another thing to be seen. There's another sight to see, another voice to hear. John's just taking it all in and writing it down for us. And that's what happens here, verse 8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So you got this mighty angel that's huge, sounds like seven thunders, roars like a lion, legs that are massive and pillars of fire spread out here, and John is to walk up to it and get the scroll. So he does that. Verse 9, so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. 
This isn't the first time that we've seen the Bible tell God's person to eat the message, eat the book, eat the scroll. This happened also in Ezekiel, with Ezekiel. We're going we're to read that in a few minutes on my third and final point. But God's message of salvation and God's message here of salvation in the final judgment is what John is receiving. It's the message in the scroll. And as we get into the second part of this interlude in chapter 11 next week, we're going to see that the very message of salvation is the calling of the people of God. People do not receive a message of salvation without a burden to tell the message of salvation. You don't receive the greatest gift ever or the best news ever. You don't receive the words of eternal life and think, I don't want to tell that with anybody else. I don't want anybody else to have it. And so John here is to digest this reality. He's to take it in and he's to eat it. And then when it gets to his stomach, it will make a different feeling. The Bible is consistent in telling us that the promises of God are true. And that the God who gives those promises is faithful. And they are sweet. You've heard this before, right? Psalm 19.10 says, talking about God's word, more to be desired are God's promises than gold. Even much fine gold. And it says this, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Psalm 119, 103 says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. We have passages in the Bible where the people of God are saying, I love God's word so much. It's sweet to me. I love it. And many of us live this out. We go to bed at night reading this book, and we wake up the next day reading this book, and when we've got free time, we want to read this book. This book is everything to us. Do you remember when Jesus had a following in the Gospel of John, and we're told that at that moment, at a hard teaching, many turned away and left him? The Gospel seemed to show us that lots of people decide to not follow Jesus, so don't be taken back by that today. Don't be shaken by that today. Literally, in Jesus' day, people were falling away all the time. In our day, people are falling away all the time. But when they turned away from Jesus one specific time, Jesus doesn't chase after those running away. Jesus turns to those that are still there, and he says, y'all want to leave too? And Peter says, where are we going to go? You're the one with the words of eternal life. Now, this is the heart of the believer. This is the word of God. This is what will save my soul. This is the guide to my life. This is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Man, this thing is living inside of me. It's going to work on me. We love this book. It's sweet to us. We just sang in Psalm 23, and we've been memorizing Psalm 23, and right there in the middle of it, maybe verse, verse 3 says, He restores my soul. And I can't tell you literally how many times I've been upset, frustrated, embarrassed, ashamed, a failure, tired, exhausted, confused, and I've reminded myself of Psalm 23, or I've read Psalm 23, and I have literally felt in my being God restoring my soul. His word is like that to us. Some of y'all may have seen yesterday this United States of America sprinter, Sydney McLaughlin, obliterate the world record yet again. She runs the 400-meter hurdles. And in the world championships yesterday, where the world record was somewhere around 52 seconds, which, which, by the way, that's about 20 seconds faster than I could run a 400, and she's got hurdles in the way. This girl is fast. I mean, super fast. And she ran it in 50 seconds. Hurdles on a track, a whole lap, 400 meter. And at the end of it, a new world record. Nobody in the history of the world has ever, ever run that fast. When they got to do the interview with her, she said, you know, this morning I was reading my Bible, Hebrews chapter 4. And the Bible says that now may we with boldness come to the throne of grace that we may receive 
that we would have confidence to go to the throne of grace, that we would receive strength. She said, as I got set to run, I was remembering that verse that I read. And I just felt like God had given me confidence and strength to go and do it. And she said, and I guess he did. And so may he get all the glory. I've never run in a world championship race on ESPN in front of everybody with the 10 fastest runners in the whole world. But if I did, I don't know what I would do that morning in preparation. You know what she did? She read this book. If I did break the record, as I had my chest out and gloated in all the glory of being the fastest woman runner in the history of the world, I don't know if I would recall this book, but you know what she did? She talked about this book being so important to her that the morning of and the time after, this mattered to her. This is us. Life's hard. The end is coming. We're broken through and through. I know that. We got people dying over here and people dying over here and our families are suffering like crazy. And every one of us have all sorts of questions and concerns about life. But this is the word of God given to us to satisfy our souls and be an anchor and foundation in this life. It will not fail us. And Garth read earlier from Hebrews that he who promised is faithful. If God has said it, it will happen. Believe it. The promises of God, even in the end, are sweet and comforting to us. Our identity is not in what we do. It is in the God who loves us and sent his son to die for us. No matter how much of a failure you are, no matter how successful you are, no matter how secure you feel or insecure you feel, you are to believe God loves me. His son died for me. His son rose and reigns and lives, and that's all that matters ultimately. And soon, very soon, you'll never question that again. Soon, very soon, you will know it on the right side or not. But the passage doesn't end there. Our third and final point, which is a heavy one, is that the end is coming and the reality of the end is heavy and urgent. The end is coming and some of it is a mystery. The end is coming and God's promises are sweet and comforting. And the end is coming, and the reality of it is heavy and urgent. As John approaches the angel and takes the scroll and does what is told to do, he eats it. And while it tastes sweet in his mouth, it's bitter in his stomach. It says that in verse 9. And then again in verse 10, I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it in my stomach, when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. This is a heavy truth about the promises of God and judgment and salvation. Many people just do not accept it. For as sweet as it might be to those that believe, there are people that are just like, it's not for me, man. I just don't believe it. I don't think so. And the reality of that sits heavy. I have sat with elderly folks close to dying, having them ask all sorts of questions about what's going to happen when I'm done breathing, and where do I go, and what's that like. And in that very moment of trying to comfort them with God, they have brought up their loved ones that didn't believe and how bitter that is for them to cling to the salvation that you have. Jesus is my Savior, yet aware of those that don't believe. It's bitter in his stomach. The sweet salvation of Jesus is bitter when you come to know 
that many people don't believe. They don't accept him. They reject him. In Ezekiel, if you can find it, just turn there. But we have a very similar thing going on. That's why I said this is not the first time we've heard this. And if you can find Ezekiel chapter 2, great. If not, then just listen up. This is God's man, the prophet Ezekiel, Old Testament. I'm starting at chapter 2, verse 8. It says, but you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it, look at this, words of lamentation and mourning and woe. Bitter words, heavy words. And he said to me, son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you're not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely, if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I've made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery, harder than flint, I've made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears. And go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another, and the sound of the wheels beside them, and the sound of a great earthquake. Now look at this, last verse, 14. The Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness, in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. Ezekiel ate the message there, and it was sweet, and it was bitter, because God giving a saving message to people is believed by some and rejected by some. So the conclusion in verse 11 is, with the bittersweet message, go tell it. Look at verse 11. And I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Until the end, until the seventh trumpet, which we're on the brink of, we must keep telling people of a loving God that will save anybody from the judgment on sin. And we can tell that message up until the very end. We must feel the urgency of that. It must motivate us to share with our family and share with our people and share with our community. It must strengthen us as we get opportunities like we do with our schools and with our teams that we would be a people wanting to help people be saved. Y'all, God receives sinners. He's merciful and gracious. God forgives sins. And anybody in any position can turn to God. We should be telling that as often as we can. In closing, I'm reminded of a funeral I did some time ago. In many ways, it was an awesome story. An elderly lady had passed away. Her husband was devastated, but they had had a sweet, long, happy marriage. They had been together 60 years when she died. And I sat with him, I didn't know them, and I sat with him just to talk about it. And it went in a direction that I really wasn't expecting. 
He was frustrated. He was angry. And he kept saying, why, why, why? He said, why would they take her? Not sure who he was referring to. He kept saying, what did we do to deserve this? He said often, I never expected this to happen, and I just don't understand it. In other words, he wasn't ready. And I'm aware that losing a spouse is heavy no matter if you're 105 years old. I know that. But in this moment, it was obvious that finding comfort in the promises of God had missed him. He wasn't ready to die. And he wasn't ready for his wife to die. He wasn't ready to meet God. And that is heavy. And there's a real sense that your good old school, old-fashioned preaching that like hammered this all the time has been accompanied with a lot of perhaps hypocrisy or hellfire and brimstone. And so there's a tendency for us to say, look, man, any like urgent salvation message like that, I'm just not here for it. And I get that. But true preaching and good preaching is never about the messenger. It's always about the message. And believing is always about not inspiration, but truth. Do we believe the truth? And God is telling us through our study of Revelation time and time again that the end is coming. Time is urgent. People need to know God. And we need to be about that. May we be those who have received this message, believe it, and want to go and tell it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Revelation 10 and our study of it. We thank you, God, for the reminder that the end is coming. Oh, Father, it is sweet and bitter. But we thank you that in Christ our Savior, God, we know the sweet salvation. Father, we ask that you would use our church to bring more and more and more people to salvation. And we ask that you would use all churches and all believers as a witness in the world to bring more and more people to salvation. In so many ways, God, time is running out. We ask, God, that you would burden us, convict us, empower us to live for you. Oh, Father, draw many people to Jesus. Exalt your son, the risen Savior, who died for the world, died for the sins, and now lives. Father, we ask for you to comfort us and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.